and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy with me on this football Saturday, right, Darcy? Yeah, man, I am already one whiskey and diet in. I've started my second one, and Auburn doesn't play until 6.30 tonight, so it could be a long day, but <laughs> I'm, I'm like here a little day it. drinking. I'm here for <laughs> to it. Break up the quarantine. Yep. So we have shut back down here. <gasps> have you really? Yeah. Oh, no. uh, it was such a bummer. I mean, sort of the restaurants and bars, mm-hmm. but sort of, they're still allowed to have stuff outside. They just can't have inside seating anymore. Yeah. Have you had like a lot of new cases? I guess it rose to 8%. Oh, okay. And so like they the flipped out. Yeah. I guess that was a, the lim- like 6% is where they feel comfortable and it rose eight to eight. So they mm. were like, oh no, we're shutting down. So the school's. And the restaurants and the bars and a couple of other things have been off and on. It's, it's kind of spotty because the, the mandate isn't necessarily, like, required. Mm-hmm. So restaurants can stay open. But, uh, I just want to give a shout out to Woodfire Rockford. They are so awesome. Their owner came into the restaurant last night and he came and talked to us, stood at our table, chatted with us for a while. And it just made me really bummed out for him and for his family because yeah. they're shutting back down again. And he was telling us that the shutdown's not necessarily mandatory, but that people that own restaurants and things like that that are not compliant are more concerned about them getting crap from customers and mm. other restaurants and things for not doing their part. Right. So they're so they're just doing it just to make sure that they can help as much as they can, even yeah. though it's rough for some of these places that were just able to open back up. They're functioning on basically the sh- the, the tiniest of shoestrings right yeah. now because the where everything is financially in the economy right now. And I just I really feel for them. Um, if you are in this area, go check out Woodfire Rockford. It was so awesome. We had steak pizza. Oh, it was awesome so it's like a woodfire pizza place so good yeah the okay. woodfire pizza the crust is amazing yeah. at that place we had truffle fries for an appetizer and they were so good they were fried in duck fat oh my god so good you're literally so describing good. everything i don't eat <laughs> i don't <laughs> eat beef, like, i don't eat potatoes like, no, like oh i want to be excited so about good. this because it sounds like it was so good but like it was like parmesan and fresh garlic and like <laughs> truffles like truffles shredded on top of it oh mm. my god it was so good and the drinks yeah the drinks were really good too i had um a basil lemon smash okay which was like a martini that was like muddled with fresh basil and lemon interesting it was so good i like it was lemon. like absolutely amazing yeah and then i had a rockford peach which i don't know if Ooh. you were aware but like the rockford peaches well, yeah. were the team that was really patterned off of that movie a league of their own mm-hmm. they're in this area so it was cool it was a like a peach bellini. It was mm, really nice. Yummy. I like peach flavored drinks. Yeah, everything was really super good, and they were so polite and so friendly, and everything was clean and tidy, and just it was a really neat experience, and it was great because we knew that things were going to be shutting down again. We had already gotten notice that Saturday was the drop day, which mm. is today, and we're recording today, and so we were like, let's go out and have one last meal before it shuts down because who knows how long it's going to be mm-hmm. before we're able to do that again, and we're thankful that we chose that place because it was it was just a really good experience from start to finish. But like, they're still doing like you could get takeout and stuff from the restaurants yes. right okay yeah a lot of them not all of them oh, okay because some of them just can't function in that way and then yeah. some of them don't have room for outdoor seating which makes me feel really bad mm-hmm. as well for them um it's a tough freaking economy out there right now and when mm-hmm. you think of these restaurant owners that are just trying to stay in business trying to stay afloat um you know there are i realize there are government programs that are supposed to help with that but from what i understand just from having spoken to a few people about it it's difficult to get those Mm -hmm. and then you know when you do apply and get granted it takes a long time for the funding to come through Mm -hmm. and there's a whole bunch of conditions at times and it just it's very complicated and so if you can folks go out there and support your your local takeout your Mm -hmm. restaurants things like that um support those businesses as much as you can within reason you know stay healthy keep your mask on wash your hands things like that but If you can support your local restaurants and eateries and bars and things like that, please do, because they really need your help right now. And tip well. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in honor of our Halloween month that we're <gasps> now officially into, I found this really crazy article that made me like really freaked out because mm. my, one of my least favorite things in the whole wide world is spiders. 
Oh, no, 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 no. Is this a spider so, story? It's a spider story. Oh, no. <laughs> the title of this article was Massive Spider Web Seen in Missouri Photo Has Some Asking, Could It Catch Humans? Uh, <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> You're already, like, visibly cringing, I can I don't tell, like but... spiders. A spider's massive web in Missouri has people asking one question. What is it, What exactly is it trying to catch? A Missouri Department of Conservation employee recently snapped a photo of the web along a trail in Springfield. The intricately designed web appears to have been several feet wide and spanned between trees. The spider was quickly lauded for its perfection and potential to snag more larger creatures. These are the kind that literally catch people if they walk <gasps> through them at night, a Facebook user commented. Oh, my God. Have you ever accidentally are... walked through a spider yes. web not? Yes, 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 yes. And it is literally the stuff of nightmares. Because yes. you don't know where the spider that. is. Yeah, no. It's it's the worst. Uh-huh. But um, these are the spider webs that smack you in the face when you're riding on a four-wheeler or walking across a trail or anything like that. They call them deer spiders. They say mm. their webs are so big they've been trying to catch a deer. No. Of course, the spider that created this web was much smaller and had a smaller prey in mind, according to people that know spiders. But the web was created by an, an orb weaver, which is sometimes called a barn spider, and several species can be found in Missouri. They put a picture of it on here. It's disgusting. Like, I can't even. I hate spiders. But they're usually about a half an inch, not including legs. The species mm-hmm. feeds on moths and crane flies, which they eat after biting insects caught in the webs. Their webs are most noticeable in late summer and fall, when webs and adults reach their largest size. The spiders spin their webs at dusk to catch nighttime insects and take it down nearly every morning. Ugh. Just in time for Halloween, right? God, no. I love Halloween, <laughs> but no, I don't, I don't, I don't mess with spiders. Pass, pass on the spiders. Pass on all the spider yes. things. <laughs> yes. Just like, I literally have nightmares at least once a month about like being in a situation where there are spiders on me, spiders around mm-hmm. me, spider webs that I've walked into, things like that. And we live in an area where there's a lot of like trees and bushes yeah. and, um, naturey type stuff and yeah we see a lot of cool stuff like foxes and turkeys and things like that but we also see a lot of insects here which that's, is unbelievable to me that's one of the things i miss about california is there are so few bugs like if you went out what? into the woods like are you crazy you could see you would see like black wed- black widows brown widows brown recluses like you would see spiders but like you had to go places where they are like it's not just like where you no and way. i live now no There's, way it's, i was living shocked. in their habitat yeah I was shocked when I came to California how many bugs there were. I was because I come from Washington State originally, and we just don't really have a lot of bugs there. You have little mosquitoes. You thought there were a lot of bugs in California? Yeah, when I came to California, it's like bugs are freaking everywhere. There's ants, there's cockroaches, there's stuff on the counter. There's like flying bugs, and ugh, no, never go to Alabama then. Like I thought there were. I was shocked how few bugs there were in California. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not a bug fan, and especially spiders. Like I can't, Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I just can't. They gross me out. Nope. But um, I know they're they're good for the environment. They catch insects I don't care, and they whatever. keep the insects populations. But I still don't. I don't <laughs> want them touching me. I don't want them in my personal space. Uh-uh. Please don't write us hate mail <laughs> if you like spiders. <laughs> you know what? If you like spiders, then you have to uh, you have to understand that you're a small minority of the population, and that a lot of people are uncomfortable around spiders. So and they're very scary. Yeah. The fact they have so many eyes. In fact, they have hundreds of babies, like all of that. Just Mm-mm. no. I, Charlotte's Web, no, Mm-mm. no, Mm-mm. no, and no. <laughs> You're not going to make the spider cute and friendly and nope. sweet. No, nope. no, just no. I don't care if it saved a pig. It's a spider. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks to all of it. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a really, really interesting case today. I know you're going to love this one, Dars. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it before. Okay. But this was a case that happened in the Dales. And this is in Oregon. And the Dales? Yes. It's a city called the Dales. Oh. Okay. Um, or the Dales. They pronounce it both ways. This is hmm. what I understand. But, okay, I'm going to set the scene for you. Because this is, like, really, this is an 80s story. Oh, and okay. you know how I love my 80s uh-huh. stuff. 80s and 90s, like, I, I can talk about it all day. Excuse me. This happened in the largest city in Wasco County. And this is just outside of the Portland metropolitan area. It's a beautiful city along the Columbia River, the Dales, or the Dales, with a population of around 15,000 today. At the time, it was really between 10 and 11,000. Okay. 
The primary kind of job market there are medical centers, produce growers, and city government. Those are the largest employers. They don't really have, you know, like Hewlett Packard or mm -hmm. Apple or like some big company like that that employs. It's those mm -hmm. things are the main employers. And again, this is the mid 80s. We kind of set the scene for you a little bit. The Apple Macintosh computer with the mouse was first popularized and came out, introduced, and sold during this time period. They didn't have it before then. Mm -hmm. It was actually introduced during the Super Bowl in a commercial and was on sale for the first time. Michael Jackson burned his scalp while filming <laughs> the infamous Pepsi commercial. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yep. Um, McMartin preschool trial was going Ooh. on with the satanic panic, full-blown during that yeah. period of time. Um, Ronald Reagan was president mm -hmm. and called for the international ban on chemical weapons. Uh, Russia boycotted the 1984 Summer Olympics. Mm -hmm. There was a whole big thing with that. There was, you know, the whole anti-Russia thing and the Russians are going to nuke us and all that kind of stuff was yep. going on during that time. Um, Tetris, one of the best-selling video games of all time, was released during this time oh, period. Oh, nice. Do you remember Tetris? Yeah. Uh, PG-13 rating was released in that year. By what, the what year are we talking about? 1984. Oh, that was what, that's the year I was born. Yeah, right? So cool. Darcy was so born? You know, uh -huh. right? Um, PG-13. Like I said, the PG-13 rating came out that year. They didn't have it before then, which is really interesting to me. I can't imagine the time before they had PG-13, but they did. Mm -hmm. um, Vanessa Williams resigned from the Miss America role mm -hmm. because of the nude photos that were published in Penthouse. Remember that? Yep, I do. Um, Space Shuttle Discovery takes its maiden voyage. Mm. Baby Faye got the first heart transplant from a baboon. DNA profiling was developed oh, really? during that time period as well. And also, this is, a ma this is a major one. The AIDS virus was identified. Mm. You know, that was crazy. Yep. Um, widespread famine in Ethiopia prompted Band-Aid to come to the rescue with Do They Know It's Christmas? Which mm, was <laughs> controversial now huh. when we look back at it. But back then, they were so excited that they were helping these Ethiopian children. And I remember seeing pictures in every other commercial with the little starving kids with the belly sticking out. I don't out think I like know that. what... Do they know it's Christmases? Go Google it. Okay. You'll see. It's like okay. all the stars came together and they recorded like we are the world kind yeah. of thing. But they recorded Do They Know It's Christmas? And they had them all join in and everyone did a big fundraiser and the bands raised money to feed Ethiopian starving children. Okay. So it was a big thing. Right. Um, and I remember it very vividly because I remember seeing the commercials on TV and things like that. But um, there was a recession in full swing. Um, 70 U.S. banks failed that year. A hmm. uh, gallon of gas averaged about $1. Care Bears were in their heyday, along with My Little Pony, Barbie, and mm -hmm. the A-Team toys. Um, fashion was like argyle and furs and really pastel khaki pants and lots of kitten heels and ugly clothes and hair. It it's was coming back awful. now. Kitten heels awful, are coming awful, back, right? too. It is. All of it. Yeah. Um, in the movies, we had Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Karate Kid, Police Academy. Terminator, Terms of Endearment, and Splash. I've never seen a single one of those movies that you said. Oh and my I God. know that I'm Go look like, I up. know that that's weird for me. Like I, most people have seen most of those They're movies. They're all so good. Yeah. Those are like the top movies of the year then. Yeah. Um, you've got artists like Phil Collins, Billy Joel, Tina Turner, David Bowie, Wham, Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, Duran Duran. Um, we're making yeah. hits, selling all the records back then. And it was records folks. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not CDs, not DVD players, any of that crap, just records. Uh, on TV, they had Magnum P.I., Dynasty, Jeopardy was in its heyday, Cheers, Cagney and Lacey, Falcon Crest, <laughs> Night Soaps were big back then, <laughs> Knight Rider and A-Team. So like, we were really rocking it out with the Knight Rider and right. things like that, which by the way, my adoptive mom had was a guest star on Knight Rider. Did For I ever real? tell you that? No. Yeah. Her name was Terry. She was Terry the truck driver. Oh, she had a little nice. Texas accent. And she was like a little love interest for, um, what's his name? Is she an actress or was she an actress? She was. Yeah. Oh. She did a few things in her time. That's awesome. I remember seeing the episode and just laughing because she was so cute. She's like this little blonde, just <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Um, and then CD players came out that year. So wow. it wasn't huge yet, but they had just invented them. And so they yeah. were starting to like figure out how to use them. Um, as I mentioned earlier with the DNA, they also had genetic fingerprinting that had become developed and they were really working on that and nailing it down. Um, in that year, Ronald Reagan defeated Walter Mondale for the presidency. Mm -hmm. yeah. That was a big thing as well. 
Um, and that's pretty much 1984 in a flashback, just nice. to give the listeners a little perspective on what was going on at the time. But um, let's get back to Oregon. So this little town, the Dales, is a lovely little town in Oregon perched above the Columbia River. It's about 80 miles east of Portland. As I had mentioned earlier, it was near Portland. Portland's a really cool city in Oregon. If you ever have a chance to go there, go. It's yeah, such I've heard a it's awesome. Place. Like the food, the people, like the energy, the vibe yeah. is so cool there. It's a great place. It's a great place. But uh, the town was reminiscent of a typical 50s town, though, kind of frozen in time. Mm, uh-huh. With, you know, between 10 and 12,000 residents. Um, Dave and Sandy Lutkins agreed this was a great place to settle down and raise a family. It was really close to skiing and water sports and hiking and great schools and low crime. So, like, mm. they were like, this is the place to be. So these two settled down and opened up a restaurant. Flash forward to September 25th, 1984. Okay. Sandy and Dave both got super sick with cramps, vomiting, diarrhea, dehydration, delirium, and dizziness, which hmm. can you guess what they might potentially be suffering from? I mean, some kind of poisoning, right? Mm-hmm. So these two immediately went to the hospital and they found out when they got there that the local medical facilities were inundated with similar cases. Huh. So a microbiologist was called in and determined from viewing the patients that salmonella was the culprit. Okay. So salmonella basically is a bacteria that's found in eggs, meat, poultry, unpasteurized milks, sometimes, and sometimes in water and animal poo. And then when mm-hmm. you touch reptiles, they also carry that particular bacteria. It's not deadly usually, but it can be fatal in infants and elderly patients with pre-existing conditions. Sure. So this is a bacteria that typically happens when people, it gets spread when people don't wash their hands properly in kind of a food setting at restaurants and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also recently seen it being an issue with like produce coming off the field that gets like, yeah. you, there's been a lot of cases, not a lot, but some cases recently, if you recall, having heard in the news that there's yeah. been some salmonella and E. coli and all those other things. Um, with fecal matter coming either not washing from the fields or like somehow the the lettuce and onions and tomatoes mm-hmm. and things like that have been contaminated with it. But this particular strain was typically known to have outbreaks when restaurant workers didn't wash their hands after going to the bathroom. That was like the most popular way it was spread back okay. then. Before Ten, they had all those signs up everywhere. Exactly. Hands before before that was like a thing, right? But 10 days after the first outbreak of the salmonella poisoning, a second wave broke out. And then, yeah, the numbers jumped from dozens of patients to hundreds seemingly overnight. And the hospitals were super packed. Local residents in several restaurants found all or nearly all of their employees were sick as well as hundreds of customers. Which, you know, this really isn't that big of a town anyway. So to have like a good majority of the population come become sick with this was of a major concern to yeah. them. And health authorities immediately got to work trying to figure out what was the source of this outbreak. And typically salmonella spreads, like I mentioned earlier, by food preparers not washing their hands after mm-hmm. they go to the bathroom and it contaminates different foods that people are working with. Um, but how could hundreds of patients get sick when they hadn't even eaten at the same places or even the same chain? That was what was super perplexing. Oh, they were not customers at these restaurants. They all had eaten at restaurants, but it was different restaurants. Right. Oh, so wow. like, okay. usually when an outbreak this like this when an outbreak of this magnitude happens, they have no idea how to deal with it, where it came from, things like that, because it's usually smaller outbreaks coming mm-hmm. from one restaurant, one kind right. of situation. Back they then, couldn't, at least. like they could trace it to one place, but this one they no. couldn't. Gotcha. And the water supply had been tested, and nothing came up. Hmm. So they called in the CDC to investigate. And they sent out epidemiologists to assist. You probably heard that term a lot these days, you know, with the pandemic going on. They have, these guys are like really getting called in. (laughs) You're up to bat. Let's go, guys. Let's figure this out. Um, These guys are basically scientists who study how disease makes its way through uh, large groups of people. Mm -hmm. Populations. They typically work in like a public health sector. Mm Mm-hmm. So all of these events seem unrelated and there are no common links between the patients. Like I said, they ate at lots of different types of restaurants and all over town. So like, how could this be happening? Right. And some of the residents remembered eating salads from 10 local restaurants. Okay. 
part of it was potato salad and part of it was some green salad. And so they started to look at common suppliers and no one source was identified as like something that would support a conclusion as to why dozens of people are all getting sick at the same time. Um, so doctors processed samples from the outbreak and found that all had suffered from the same strain of salmonella. And this was like a really rare strain, which was only 2% of the salmonella cases that had actually come to light until then. Excuse me. It was also characterized as not being resistant to antibiotics. Okay. So officially they had about 751 cases reported when they had all been tallied. Yeah. That's a lot, right? Yeah. And it's a small town. So that's a good portion of the population. And meanwhile, the state of Oregon contributed, basically attributed the outbreak to poor hygiene of restaurant workers, okay. which to me doesn't make a lot of sense. And they said yeah. it was cross-contamination from these folks. I mean, that was their that's a lot suggestion. of people not washing, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot of people to all be not washing their hands. Yeah, Exactly. Um, local authorities then start poking around and begin to suspect a local religious cult might be involved with the salmonella outbreak. Is this the Netflix thing? No. It might have been covered on Netflix, but I actually got most of my information from, I did a web search on this, but I initially heard about the case on Forensic Files, which is my favorite show. Um, And then I kind of looked into it and Googled it and Wikipedia and some other places talked about it as well. But I'm sure lots of different shows have done stuff on it. There was a Netflix special about a cult in Oregon. I yeah. what it was called. I mean, a, it's a there was a lot one. of cults during this time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, okay. I these guys were that the, one, so, okay. These guys were the Rajneeshis. Okay. And they had a large compound near Dales. Um, and when they started getting bigger, cult leaders and the town started to experience tensions and political issues. So mm-hmm. these guys had this big, huge compound, like, kind of right outside of town, but near enough mm-hmm. to be involved with the city. A year earlier, one of the cult leaders had hinted that violence would ensue if the cult wasn't allowed to do what they wanted. So they were expanding very rapidly, and they wanted to basically just take over. So, okay, so so they have, like, a list of demands, basically, on the town? No. Essentially, what they were doing is they came in, they set up shop, they started to build these big organic farms... And they had people, let me just explain. Okay, yeah, further, you're, yeah right? I was about to say, you're probably so, about to talk about it. We are here in Oregon to stay, she said, at whatever the cost. If that means some blood is spilled, then this is the price we are prepared to pay. Yikes. So let me just talk a little bit about this cult. Um, they built this farming compound, and they called themselves the, Raj- the Rajneeshi, and it was started in 1981 by a guru from India. Okay. His name was Bhagwan Sri okay. Rajneesh. It's a mouthful. (laughs) So he started it in 1981 after coming over from India and two years after he had begun the cult and $30 million later, they had this massive 64,000 acre organic farming and meditation compound. Where did they get $30 million? They got it from people donating money and they, there's two different factions within this cult. There was like the normal faction of people that were coming from out of the country to be part of this. And then there was this faction that was Hollywood. Oh. There was one of the leaders was like some famous Hollywood producer's wife that had come in and donated money and they were just raking it in. And so it's, it's like a, a non-profit. Scientology. Yeah. So they're not paying taxes. Right. And it's just like, there's a whole, I think... Um, during that time period, I think cults were hugely popular. People were sort of dis- yeah. disenchanted with government and the way things were run normally in this country. So you found that there was a huge proliferation of cults in the U.S. 60s, 70s, and 80s. Yeah. But in any case, they built this huge compound that was 64,000 acres right outside, kind of on the border of Dales. And they were they had their own post office, their own school, their own hospital, and even their own shopping mall. Whoa. They housed about a thousand cult members with different housing on the compound. So it's like quite a few people. Yeah. It really was kind of a strange phenomenon though, because they had a lot of people that were quitting their do- their jobs as doctors and lawyers and professionals. And they came to be a part of this cult. And you'd see these people that used to be like these white collar professionals that were now moving to Oregon, driving tractors and growing produce, like chanting and meditating. It was just really, I think, kind of bizarre. Yeah. But in 1982, they took over the town of Antelope, 
taking all the seats on the city council and school board. Whoa. So they were like, we want to do this. And it was a smaller town, I think. And so they came in and they were like, we're going to take control of this. We can do what we want. We can pass legislation and regulations in order to further our own interest. So we want to take over the government seats, the school board, all that, so we can be in control. Holy cow. Um, longtime residents, though, of these cities were completely outraged. They were like, no way, you can't just walk in here and, and you have your weird cult yeah. take over everything. Because they were, like, chanting. And I don't know about you, but, like, growing up in this time period, like, people like that were just really um, not common where I lived. And so I can't, I can imagine what the reaction would be if someone, like, a you know, a Buddhist monk came into our town and started doing things monk-like, you know, chanting and right. meditating and being quiet and wearing an orange robe. And these guys wore red robes. Right. Normally. Like, yeah, I mean, it, obviously that would have been very unusual where I grew up too, but like Buddhist monks, like, I mean, that was your example, but like, they don't bother anybody. Like they don't go into the middle of the no, town and just like no. disrupt everything. Like this but, group is like, that's right. wild. I was using it. I was using it as an example of, right. like, what you would think if you were in this small town in the middle of yeah. nowhere, and all of a sudden you see a Buddhist monk. You're like, whoa, wait, what's going on? Yeah, I'm yeah, confused. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and you have these small town, a lot of uneducated folks in these little towns at that time period who were just farmers and just very, you know, basic sorts of laborers, and mm -hmm. all of a sudden you you have this meditation cult spring up. So yeah. you're going to be confused, you're going to be perplexed, you're going to be probably upset, and then when they start taking over the local government, then you're starting to get worried, right? That's and then you've scary. Got it, you've you added like, all the craziness that's about to ensue, and I, this would be horrifying to me, but... The local residents were very, very upset, and they believed the Rajneeshi had intentionally poisoned everyone. Whoa. Before the Salmonella outbreak, the Rajneeshis wanted to control the Dales County as well. Okay. And to do this, they put, a, their, they put a bunch of their own candidates up for local elections. So were they... So they had taken over Antelope, and now they were trying to take over the Dales City Council. So you said they're like a farming community. Were they providing the produce to a lot of these restaurants? They were, okay, wow. but nothing came up in that. They tested oh. those things, and those things had not come into contact with salmonella. Oh. But there was this rampant local speculation by everyone there that's like, no way, these guys did this. They poisoned everyone, and they were blaming the Rasnishis. Hmm. So despite their claims, despite their speculation, despite like everybody knowing that these people were somehow responsible, they had no evidence to back it up. Hmm. And then a year after the outbreak, this bizarre behavior just starts to increase at the Colt compound. Health officials had not been able to pinpoint the source of the salmonella in the Dales. But the Rajneeshis were under the microscope for potential involvement, and their compound was just outside of town. During this time, local officials and members of the Colt were constantly at odds. Uh, Manan Sheila was the leader that ran day-to-day -day operations of the cult at that time. And this is just bizarre. This guy, like the head cult guy who created this, had these expensive cars, new disciples, jet planes, and all sorts of other crazy things because they had a ton of money, right? Yeah. There's like money filtering in and out of this place, not only to build it, but like this guy had fancy cars and like armed guards. And whenever he went anywhere, he would go with like a lead car in front and a car in back and a helicopter Jesus. overhead. And between like two dozen armed with semi-automatic weapons, wherever it's he like went. It's like Muammar Gaddafi. Like he was, yeah, he was super paranoid and super afraid. And like, it was just bizarre. If and, I mean, if you can just kind of imagine this in your head, but all this wacko stuff is going on. He's driving around in these fancy cars, going places in jet planes and private jets, and he's got these new disciples, and everyone's wearing red robes, and it just, it, to me, it would have been super bizarre. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what I would have thought, but... I would have thought something's fishy, that's for sure. And then the fact that this guy is riding around with all these armed guards, you start to get the sense that he's really super paranoid, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's a reason for that, though. The government is looking into his operation because they suspect there's immigration fraud going on okay. by the members of the cult. And then there's also these internal conflicts with commune leaders who were adding fuel to the fire of dissension within this cult because there were these two big factions, like I mentioned earlier. There was the original founders and the people that were coming over and immigrating over to be part of this cult. Mm -hmm. And then you had this faction of the cult from 
um, Big Hollywood, which was contributing most of the money from California. Hmm. And there was this internal power struggle of control between the original cult leaders and then the lucrative finance people from Hollywood mm -hmm. that wanted to control as well, that were like, hey, this is a money-making venture. We need to be taking advantage of that. Right. Um, former members of the cult revealed that there had been plans to assassinate local politicians. Jesus they believed were Christ. getting in the way. Yeah. As well as journalists and some rural folks that they felt were stopping the progress of the cult as they wanted to take over. These people needed to be removed, and there was a list of them. Yikes. So one year after the Dales um, poisoning had occurred, Sheila and one of the head nurses at the cult suddenly took off to Europe. Like, they just uh. left. And they were disowned by the cult immediately. They immediately announced, hey, you know, we don't have anything to do with this. I don't know why they left. Blah, blah, blah. But... Investigators soon discovered that the Rosnishi had been experimenting with biological poisons in their compound. Oh. And including salmonella. I don't think I realized salmonella could be, like, weaponized, which may sound a little bit, like, naive, I guess. And I'm going to kind of talk about what they did. Okay. Um, and you're just going to be like, what? There was no concrete evidence just yet. It was only kind of word of mouth and speculation. And then you had these former cult members that were coming forward to kind of release details to journalists and anyone else who would listen. But there was enough information for them to start investigating. So there was not enough for a legal or criminal for a legal or criminal conviction, but there was enough for them to get a warrant okay. to go in and search this place. And during that time, personal security had tightened at the compound. They, were, they had bulletproof cars, armed guards. Like I said, there was a SUV trailing this guy and one in front of him. And there was a helicopter. And oh anytime he went anywhere, they were he had fully automatic weapons guarding him. So everybody, I think, was very super scared of this guy. And like I think they were expecting him to snap at any yeah. moment. This cult was considered very unpredictable, and I think the local community, for obvious reasons, was super scared. But in October of 1985, a 35-page indictment was issued by the federal by a federal grand jury, charging the Bhagwan of lying in his visa application, as well as making sham marriage arrangements for followers oh. so they could stay in the U.S. Oh, okay, like falsified, like uh, like a green card thing. Yes. Gotcha. So they were arranging marriages for people so they could stay in the U.S., which I don't think is unusual. Mm -hmm. But in big numbers like that, I think they were like, uh-oh, yeah. something going on. And then they also had a planned search to include an epidemiologist to search the compound. And they wanted to look in particular for biological warfare that might have been used to retaliate against the local community. Mm -hmm. So they took a microbiologist with them and they searched the compound for evidence. Can you imagine being the microbiologist? For real. <laughs> You're like, what? Like, you don't go at, like, you don't, like, you don't grow up being like, I want to be a microbiologist. I want to, like, go, like, work in public health. I want to be an epidemiologist, like, to expect to go, like, search a cult's compound. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not and what then, you're like, thinking. And like, you've got to wear a bulletproof vest. Yeah. And, like, I, this guy's probably really nerdy. Like, yeah. Just, like, never like, suspected uh, he was going to be, like, doing what? this sort of thing. Right? And seeing these people in red robes and, like, just the craziness. But anyway, in the medical center, they found a whole bunch of samples of vaccines and various bacteria and a whole bunch of other things. And it, it's interesting, but it's according to experts, it was standard for small clinics to have bacterias in there. It's like to either do research or have samples of bacterias. Okay, yeah, I could see that. Right, like, I didn't have their own that. labs. Yeah. Yeah. And they also found vials of salmonella. Hmm. At that time, they seized the samples and logged them in as evidence. They had to go back to their labs then and test those strains mm -hmm. against the strains the people had in the Dales. After the raid was completed, the Rajneeshi took off in a private jet, the leader of this cult, that is, and he was arrested in North Carolina on immigration charges. Hmm. In the meantime, the CDC tested the salmonella strain found at the test lab and matched it to the strain in the Dales outbreak. It could also be eliminated by antibiotics, just like the other strain, and this was pretty much conclusive proof to them at that time that the cult had been involved in poisoning the residents of this town. But why? And how? Why would they want to do that? Yeah. So inside the commune, besides just the connected salmonella strain going on, 
there was other crazy behavior happening. Yeah, there usually is. This is before Sheila, one of the leaders in the inner cult, took off. She was doing a lot of really bonkers stuff. Like, she had every payphone wiretapped. And every building was monitored In their as little well. town? Yes. Oh. Every building, every payphone, like, everything was wiretapped. And when the authorities started to investigate this, they saw and they discovered that this was the largest incidence of wiretapping in U.S. history. Whoa. The whole town was basically wired with banks of recorders running 24-7. My gosh. Think about how much data that is in, like, 1985. Like, yeah. I mean, wow. that was unheard of back then. Wow. So, first of all, it's unheard of because, like, we just didn't do that that much back then. Mm-hmm. But second of all, like, can you imagine the amount of money it took to do that? For real. Like, that must have been insane, the cash that it took to put in recorders and to keep this big building yep. full of recording devices recording and, you know, putting new tapes in and, like, all kinds of other stuff just seems bonkers to me. But most of the cult members had no idea they were being monitored at all mm-hmm. because the cult leaders kept it under lock and key. It was very, very hush-hush. Only Sheila and the inner circle had any idea what was going on, hmm. right? And she had this bookcase that concealed a hidden room in her quarters where she had secret meetings on this round bed. Yeah. Round bed? Like literally a round bed? A big, huge round bed. I can't think of that without being skeeved out. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody would come into this room, like, through secret entrances and sit on this round bed and meet with this Uh -uh. woman. No. Uh -uh. And... She had these escape tunnels, and inside the tunnels and the rooms, police, after she took off, found books on how to make bombs, books on bioterrorism, what? and instructions, all this stuff on how to create terrorism within the U.S., how to poison people. They seized all this information as evidence, and they could see that it was pretty clear that the cult had intended to take over all of Wasco County. Good Lord. When the cult candidates were put up for election, they wanted to ensure that they could win. Yeah. And towards that end, they had to make sure that local voters were too sick to come out and vote. Mm. And that's why they were poisoning them with this bacteria. But how were they doing it? Yeah. I mean, they tested this strain of salmonella and they saw that it was very powerful and they knew what it could do. The plan was to have 100% of voter participation go out of cult members. So they had 100% of the cult members that were registered to vote go out to the polls, and they wanted to get as few as possible from the sick community out voting, and this would ensure the majority of the seats in the county commission would be earned by the cult rather than the community. But there was one piece that was still unclear at that point, and that was why and how they did this. So... Why had they had the first outbreak? Because that one happened in September, and then later they had that second bigger outbreak. And was it, it like turned a out test? that, yeah, the first one was a rehearsal. Jesus Christ. Dress rehearsal. So, at Sheila's instruction, the cult members were directed to take off their trademark red robes and move through the town with spray bottles of salmonella. Spray bottles? Uh huh. They needed to spray as many different surfaces as possible so that people would touch them and get sick. And they started doing this in August, and they started with door handles in the county courthouse and produce at local supermarkets. Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Like, like you you see somebody spraying stuff. Like, what? I'm now terrified right? to buy anything and touch anything. Wash it. Wash it. Always yeah, wash real. it. real. Um, after this, no one got sick, though. <laughs> so, like, their first, like, little dress rehearsal in August when they had gone and sprayed all the courthouses and the produce, no one got sick. Or... Maybe they got sick and they didn't report it, or maybe it just wasn't that but serious. But they didn't have, like, a big outbreak. No. Huh. So everyone probably washed their hands and produce. Unlike now. No one washes their hands anymore. <laughs> yeah. I actually have, because I have an Apple Watch, and they have this new feature where, um, I'm not talking to you, Apple Watch, where, um, it, like, once you start washing your hands, it, like, will be like, okay, Time's I'm up. counting down from 20. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's kind of annoying when you're in the bathroom and there's a line of people and you've yes. got everyone counting to twenty. Yeah, and like people are like, I just want to wash my hands and get like, out of here. All right, let, let, come on. <laughs> happened last night. Like this lady in front of me, like she sees me standing there behind her. She literally washed her hands for like two minutes straight. Like <laughs> lather, 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 lather. More soap. Lather, lather, lather. Can't lather. be too I'm careful. Underwater. More lather, lather. I was just like, oh my god, you've already gone twenty seconds. Yeah. 
But I couldn't yell at her because it was like, I get it. You know, you're right. paranoid. You're out in a restaurant. You just want to be clean and make sure you're doing your part. I get it. But still, it was like, whoa. Right. You're a little like, overkill on You this see one. me here, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and we only had one sink. Oh, like, yeah. So anyway, um, after that, no one got sick, as I mentioned. So they were like, oh, now what do we do? So the second experiment was to spray salmonella into salad bars at local restaurants. <gasps> Never eat at a salad bar. Yeah. They chose 10 local restaurants around the Dales. And this, this one worked. They yeah. created over 700 residents got ill on Jesus. that one. And this was just before election day and the cult decided it was time to up their game and they wanted to throw the salmonella into the city's water supply. <gasps> oh, right. No. That was the plan. But luckily this one was not successful. I apologize folks. If you hear somebody running a dryer, my studio is down in a basement area next to a laundry <laughs> so sorry if you hear the dryer going, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, when the when the authorities investigated this, there was evidence that someone had gotten into the water reservoir, but none of the water was actually contaminated. So there's no signs that the water had been contaminated, or there just wasn't enough of the contaminant to show up right. in that much water. Like it got diluted. So, yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, though, all of the Rajneeshi candidates were defeated soundly in the November elections. Ooh. Thank goodness. Um, with all of the evidence on hand, Sheila and the nurse who took off with her were indicted. Uh, they were extradited from Europe. They filed charges for tampering with consumer products, which seems like such a little, like, weird thing to charge somebody with. It seems like so, right. like, like non-threatening. In this particular case, they did charge her with tampering with consumer products. That was the charge, mm -hmm. the official charge. And both the nurse and Sheila pled guilty to the charges and were sentenced. And they spent a little under three years apiece in federal lockup. Okay. And then after they were released, Sheila fled to Switzerland um, after she left Oregon. And she did this because she <laughs> didn't want to get caught and didn't want to wait for Oregon to file state charges against her. And she probably could have could get some money there, too, in Switzerland. Yeah. She's now in Europe. I guess she's running a nursing home. What? She's last, in charge of like, thing. people's health? Yeah. Isn't that scary? Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, evidence was never uncovered to prove that Roshanish himself had any involvement with the salmonella poisoning. Okay. So they couldn't charge him with that. But they did charge him with immigration violations, and he got deported. There has to be and some kind of financial charges against that guy, right? Nope. What? Just immigration charges. That was all they could really conclusively prove. Wow. And he passed away in India in 1990. Okay. So he didn't get to live very long after this. No, hmm. no. But sadly, most of the establishments targeted in this bio attack were unable to recover financially or regain their reputation Ugh. after they had this huge outbreak. And so a lot of them went under. Scientists actually wrote a paper about the incident, but the CDC requested they not publish it. They wanted really? to prevent other people from trying to copycat. Oh, this. that makes sense. So they were thinking, hey, if we publish this, somebody else might try this same freaking thing. Right. Um, Oregon didn't actually release information on this until almost 10 years after the incident. Like, they kept it really, really hush-hush. But in 1997, 13 years later, the paper was finally published. It was also revealed in this paper that there were even more powerful biological weapons that had been discovered in the Colt Medical Center. So they had something worse than salmonella that was prepared and, like, ready to jam. They believed that if this last portion of these other weapons that they had were released, they believed that this would have been a very catastrophic incident the next time, like, deadly. It was that powerful, that strong. And so they had all of these stores of these things because they were basically in charge of this town. So they were running the medical clinic. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Isn't that bonkers? Like, it's just, to me, like, so unbelievable. That's so scary. And, like, it's so rare that, like, cults are organized enough to, like, engage in that kind of civic action. Yeah. That they knew to, sure. like, go get involved with local government. And that they knew the power that that, like, carries. That's terrifying. Yeah. And I think maybe that was, like, the California faction of it. Because I just mm. can't imagine these, like peace-loving, meditating people from India coming over to, like, have this compound, like, thinking of stuff like that on their own. Right. To me, that speaks more of, like, 
longtime California residents who are like, let's make this cult and join this cult so we can funnel money into it and make money and make people work for us and create these farming communities right. and sell the stuff and then we can be good to go. Like that doesn't speak of like a stereotypical um, meditative, yeah. you know, there's usually Indian not like a strong cult. business component to cults. No. Yeah. So, and you know, some of them did, they were very interested in becoming self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. But this case to me was interesting because I was stretching my memory and like trying to think of ever having heard anything about this. I've never I heard just, any I of this. I hadn't. Never heard anything about it until I heard the podcast. And I was like, what? Biological warfare? What is this? That's, it's, it's very similar to Om Shinrikyo, that one that was in um, Japan that called. They tried to poison, like they were trying to poison their, their water supply um, in Japan. And they failed pretty spectacularly. But like their intent was the same kind of thing. Like is this, and this was maybe this was in the two thousands, I think. Yeah, or just maybe it was air unbelievable. Like, and I think you know the the fact that social media wasn't huge, yeah. and News was like very controlled and things like that, and I think the the CDC stepped in as well, yeah, and sort of prevented this from getting out to the masses, like in a way to kind of protect them and to prevent copycat people trying right. to do something like this. But I imagine, you know, would this be able to happen now? Would this be something that could happen? And now I think we're e even more in danger of something like this I was going to say, I think Because they probably. have sneakier and sneakier methods mm -hmm. of doing it, right? Yeah, and that, that also raises a, a question of, like, I mean, how well do we trust the government to know what's protect best us? for us? Well, to protect us, but to know what's best. Like, by intentionally not releasing this info, like, they're making that decision for us. And was that yeah. the right decision that nobody's ever... Like, I understand not wanting to like give out the recipe for you know biological warfare but like right it was it a good thing that nobody knew about this you know what i mean i don't know i don't know i think at that time period like when there was things like this happening their first and only response was to cover it up sure. back then like now sometimes but like back then that was like their go-to it's a lot harder to cover things up now yes because you have social mm -hmm. media everywhere and somebody's always filmed it somewhere yep. and everybody now. can just pull out their phone and put the thing on twitter i mean yeah yeah absolutely so like this just was a very fascinating case yeah. to me i enjoyed it from start to finish i wish i knew a little bit more about the rajnishi like and i probably could have gone and done a little bit more research on them but like then it would be a two-hour podcast yeah for real i wonder if they're now. are they, do you know if they're still active oh, okay let me just look up rajnish movement and see if like anything comes up because I can't imagine that something that big would just disappear. There, the Rajneesh movement are people inspired by the Indian mystic Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, which I spoke of, also known as Asho, particularly initiated disciples who are referred to as Neo Sayasins are simply Sayasins used to be known as Rajneeshis or orange people because of the orange and later red, maroon, and pink clothes they used hmm. from 1970 to 1985. Members of the movement are sometimes called Ashoites in the Indian press. Oh. I mean, it seems like this is still going still, on. Still a thing in maybe India. Uh, the movement in India gradually received a more positive response from the surrounding society, especially after the founder's death in 1990. Oh, interesting. So, like, he, yeah. The Asho International Foundation, prev uh, previously Rajneesh International Foundation, is managed by an inner circle set up by Rajneesh before his death. They jointly administer his estate and operate the Osho International Meditation Resort in Pune. In the 1990s, rival factions challenged the copyright holdings over Rajneesh's works and the validity of its royalty claims on publishing of reprinted materials. In the U.S., following a 10-year legal battle with Osho Friends International, the OIF lost its exclusive rights over the trademark Osho in January 2009. I mean, it sounds like this is still yeah. going on. Hmm. There are a number of smaller centers of the movement in India and around the world, including U.S., United Kingdom, Germany, Italy, and Netherlands. Oh, okay. So there's, like, different factions of it then, it sounds like. It sounds yeah. like it. And obviously it was going as of 2009 wow. still. So, like, my guess is is they kind of distanced themselves from that faction that was in the Dales. Right. Dispersed that particular area, put the money in other areas. And it sounded like the U.S. had its own faction, but there were also things going on in Europe and India right. and things of that nature as well. And then when the Rajneesh got um, deported, he probably just started something related, but not the same yeah, back in well. India. Same teachings, but different name, probably. Yeah, unless 
take over local government and murder everybody. Yeah, yeah. To me, like, it sounds like he was part of the faction. And they said there was no evidence that he knew of the poisoning or what was going on It's just on that Shiloh that. woman. Hmm. Yes. Like, one of the leaders within the cult. Which, you yeah. know, I guess. Like, you know, you want to take it over. You realize it's a huge money-making yeah. thing. And so, like, you'd do a little coup, internal coup. I mean, maybe she had plans to get him out of power eventually. Yeah. Maybe she created all this to get him out of power and to expose his immigration scams and get him deported i mean maybe yeah that would be wild wouldn't it (laughs) but then she i think got deported too so or she she left on her own i'm not sure i think she left on her own yeah Yeah, took off because she didn't want oregon to file charges well i was gonna say i can't imagine they would deport you to switzerland so no but well they can't uh extradite her from switzerland so she chose somewhere where she knew she was going to be safe right but um, anything else you want to add? I don't. That was wild. Right? Wild ride from start For to real. finish. I like particularly the red robes and the big round bed. The big round like, bed is oh. gross. Like, ugh. It's skeevy. I wonder what's going on. I mean, they were talking about nude disciples. and Yeah. Like, I didn't see anything about that. Hmm. Like, there wasn't anything freaky deaky, like, in the... Right. <laughs> It's just speculated by certain people and, you know, former members, you know, leaked little bits and pieces. But I don't really think there's anything conclusive that it was like, here's right. how it worked. Yeah. Naked women came to the... <laughs> but, I mean, it is... It's titillating, to say the least. But, um... So, avoid the spiders. <laughs> yeah, this whole episode was just, like, skeevy. Creepy. Yeah. I'm yeah. finish. Yeah. Anyway, this is the point in the podcast where we say so long, farewell, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We will post this in our show notes, along with the references for the sources we used on today's show. There were probably four or five of them on my end. And social media. Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So we post some stories and some Sarah posts some good pictures on the Instagram. So you can find us there also. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe. Avoid spiders Mm -hmm. and always live your very (laughs) best life. Bye. Bye, guys.